0: Welcome to the Dead Lady Show podcast. The Dead Lady Show celebrates women, both overlooked and iconic, who achieved amazing things against all odds while they were alive. And we do it through women's history storytelling on stage, here in Berlin and beyond. And then we bring you the very best of those stories here on the podcast. I'm Susan Stone, and also here is Dead Lady Show co founder Florian Dassens.
1: Hi, Susan. Hi, everybody.
0: In this episode, we're bringing you a talk recorded over the summer. Together with our friends in Münster, the Burg Hülshoff Center for Literature, we put on a show in our lovely Berlin venue, Akud, with a small but perfectly formed audience. Indeed. And as always, our wonderful presenters were conjuring up their chosen dead ladies for our enjoyment from the stage.
1: Hmm, how funny that you would stress that word. Conjuring, mm-hmm. uh, as our dead lady is a lady magician. Her name is Adelaide Hermann, or Adelaide Hermann, and uh, she'll be uh, presented by our very own dear co founder, Katie Darbyshire.
0: Yes. Now, Katie is a different kind of magician. As a translator, she's conjuring up the voice of the dead sometimes or making a book speak anew.
1: She is, and she's also the publisher of an imprint that translates contemporary German fiction into English called v and Books, as well as a fabulous dancer, it has to be said. Here's Katie on Adelaide Hermann.
2: So hello, I am going to talk about Adelaide Hermann, who was known as the Queen of Magic, fittingly enough. Uh, she was one of the earliest women stage musicians. Uh, I knew this would happen. She was one of the earliest women stage magicians. So that makes her a rare role model because there still aren't many women doing magic on stage. Um, She wrote her memoir in 1931 when she was in her 70s. And that was kind of discovered and published in 2012 by her fellow magician, Margaret Steele. So I was going to open with a magic trick as Madame Herman herself recommended in the Women's Home Companion in 1900. She wrote, any quick-witted woman or girl can, after but three hours of practice, perform in her own parlor as many wonderful feats of magic as will make her the astonishment of her family and friends. It is as simple as the alphabet when you learn how. However, she continued. You see, all that is necessary is for the performer to have a few pieces of apparatus which the audience neither sees nor suspects the existence of. Concealed in the palm of the hand to be covered by the towel is the end of an ordinary gas tube with a little bit of gas pipe attached. This tubing secretly runs up the performer's sleeve (laughs) down the inside of her waist and skirt to the floor behind her then under a screen, seemingly carelessly placed behind her, to an ordinary gas burner concealed by the screen. Of course, the performer must not move more than a foot or two in any direction uh, while the curtain is up for this feat, for such would reveal the gas tube. And the assistant must do all the moving about. When the match is lighted by the performer, it is the signal for a second assistant concealed behind the screen to silently turn on the gas and off again when signaled by a stamp of the performer's foot. In other words, it's a little bit disingenuous of her to, to say that anybody could do it um, because stage magic takes a lot of hard work, great showmanship or showwomanship, and very reliable assistance to create great illusions. Adelaide Herman knew all about all three of these. She was born in London to Belgian parents in 1853 as Adele Scarsie, but she was called Adelaide from early on. She was the youngest of six surviving children. Her father was a glass engraver, and the family spoke French at home. She loved a spectacle, even as a child. She went to the pantomime and to the circus, and then she discovered ballet. And she started dancing as a child. Apparently, she didn't tell her parents she was going to these dance classes Uh, and was trained by um, the Karalfi brothers, who were a Hungarian dance troupe. Uh, She writes in her memoir about it already being physically exhausting. Her first stage appearance, professional stage appearance, uh, was when she was a a young teenager. Here she is on a uh, presentation card, age 13, looking very cute. The troupe that she danced with was booked for New York in 1868, when she was 16. And she wrote, the New York engagement was a great success. The dances were a distinct novelty to American audiences since we were among the first to introduce the so-called high kicking. Now, Kiralfi's do- um, dancers, to paraphrase ZZ Top, had legs and knew how to use them. <laughs> As you can see in these three beautiful um, cigarette card photos, they're practically all leg, and, and uh, for the 1870s, it's pretty darn daring and would have been very exciting for audiences either side of the Atlantic. Addie, as she was known, stayed on in the States after their engagement had finished and appeared in Boston with three other girls. They called themselves the Dearden Sisters, where she met the vaudeville star Gus Williams, a comedian, and got engaged. So she went back to London to get her parents' permission to uh, get married at the age of kind of 16, 17. But once she was in London, it was actually seemed a bit dull to be engaged so she broke it off <laughs> there she was in London what should she do she joined the magnificently named Professor Brown's Lady Velocipede troupe. <laughs> so I've got a picture here of a, a Dutch Velocipede from 1870 which looks like a very very uncomfortable bicycle wooden wheels metal tile ty- tires uh, and you have to climb up on this not very well padded saddle to to ride it but she learned from scratch to to cycle and was on stage. Women Velocipede troops were a big deal for decades on stage and you can see this very grainy photo of her from a newspaper wearing these big flouncy bloomers which were probably necessary to get over the big bar in the middle of the Velocipede. Anyway, uh, They went on tour to France and Belgium and they again were booked for the States and she sailed in 1874. Also on board with this dude, ooh, Alexander Herman, with his uh, magnificent moustaches and and twirly beard. At that point, presumably his hairline hadn't receded. Um, He was already a a successful magician and the two of them had met when he played London uh, and she went backstage with a friend. He was of Jewish German extraction uh, and came from France and and proposed to Addie soon after their arrival in New York. They were married about a year or so later, which might have been because her parents objected to her marrying a Jewish man. Or maybe they were just very busy. Because they were. (laughs) She became his assistant, Madame Addie, And as you can see, she sometimes also dressed up as a a boy on stage and was called Monsieur Alexander. Later she was known as Madame Adelaide or Madame Herman. Her names got more dignified as she got older. Margaret Steele, the kind of biographer, calls her the first glamorous athletic and erotic female assistant. So she used her London theatre experience to, to really remodel Herman's show. They started to travel with custom-made backdrops of their own, they had their own musical director, uh, they had just loads and loads of animals with them all the time, and they they commissioned special music for every illusion that they did. And Adelaide and Alexander developed storylines for the first time for their illusions, so things like cremations, raising the dead, um, and here she is, yes, really good fun shows, but very pertinent. Uh, uh, Here she is um, as the the phantom bride, looking actually, I I agree, very... uh, glamorous, athletic and erotic, with her beautiful veil on there. So that uh, new style of of having storylines behind the illusions was very, very influential for for future generations of magicians. Although, of course, they probably don't know it was Adelaide's idea. They were incredibly successful. You can see a beautiful poster that they had here uh, advertising the world's greatest prestidigitator. One of those words, it just means he's good with his fingers. Um, Herman, and uh, Madame Addy is is billed, kind of second bill, also has a photo or picture on the poster promising incomparable entertainments. They toured North and South America and Europe, and she's she's quite boastful in her memoir about hanging out with all these absolutely horrific people, uh, like the Mexican dictator Porfirio Diaz, it gets worse, The colonialist exploiter, King Leopold II of Belgium, who gave her a revolver. Who knows what he thought she would do anyway. um, And the autocratic czar, Alexander III. Uh, Hermann himself was dubbed Hermann the Great, uh, allegedly by King Alfonso XII of Spain. Now, he didn't live long enough to do many atrocities, but he did marry two of his cousins, not at the same time. So Adelaide worked very hard physically. She would have to squeeze into tight spaces. She did this levitating uh, act, which requires incredible core strength. Uh, She would be shot from a cannon, which burned the bottom of her feet. Uh, And as you can see in this wonderful picture, she would be, uh, in quotes, electrocuted. I love the picture with her in this uh, so-called electric chair with the electricity drawn on, on the top of the photo. Later on the Boston transcript wrote in 1902, obviously an admirer of hers, her physical development is perfect in that no one muscle is developed at the expense of another. There is a harmony of strength and beauty that tells of rhythmic movements guided by concentrated thought. Without this splendid physique, it would be impossible for Madame to do the clever things she does in the twinkling of an eye, and with no more effort, apparently, then, as though she opened and shut her rosy palm over a billiard wall and said, now you see it and now you don't. <laughs> she introduced dance to their shows. Now, unusually for her memoir, she actually credited this dance you can see here, Loy Fuller, from who, whom she copied this dance, which I'm going to describe for the podcast. <laughs> um, it was called a Serpentine Dance, so both of them Loy and uh, Adelaide wore huge dresses with, with sticks attached to the end of the sleeves, multi-layered, and they swirled around and twirled the dresses. So it looks like a, a kind of a flower dancing on air. I'm not sure why it's called serpentine. And uh, in the film, they colorized the film. But on stage, uh, Adelaide used lighting to achieve this multicolored effect. And another great possible dead lady, uh, Willa Cather, the writer, Saw her on stage in 1894 when Cather was 21 and wrote in the Nebraska State Journal, Madame Herman's dances were beautiful, especially the last one when all the colors of the rainbow were turned on from six calcium lights. It is a pity that more of the stage was not draped in black for the effect would have been better. Still, it was really wonderful as it was, being by far the best dance of the kind seen in Lincoln this season. (laughs) (laughs) a faint praise indeed. So the couple led a luxurious lifestyle. They had lavish costumes like this fancy silken frou-frou one you can see here. Uh, now she covered her legs on stage. She was uh, once caught smuggling silk from Mexico uh, for her costumes. Both very much photographed, um, which is very fun for giving a talk, actually, because there's lots of material. They had what Adelaide thought was their own rail car. They would travel by train in this extremely fancy rail car, although it was actually leased from the actress Lily Langtree. They had a house on Long Island called Whitestone Manor. Again, it was leased. They had their own yacht, horses, dogs, and peacocks. She wrote, In the course of our travels, we'd accumulated a really wonderful collection of curios and art objects, treasures gathered from every quarter of the globe, The house was practically filled with them. They had these huge parties. Her nieces and nephews would come over from England for the summer and that kind of thing. So Adelaide dearly loved her husband, but I think he was possibly a bit of a dick, actually. What kind of man has checks with a portrait of himself on them? I don't know, but uh, Alexander Herman did. Issued by the Garfield National Bank, which is a real thing. This one uh, was written in 1896 uh, for about $54, which would now be worth $1,500. So he would play tricks on everyone, kings and paupers, wherever he went, which must have grated after a while. Um, He would, you know, produce gold and silver dollars out of people's ears. But he was no good with his own money. Um, Adelaide later said in court that she'd employed him and paid him a salary, but he still managed to spend, spend, spend. And he he took out a mortgage on his life insurance. I didn't know that was possible. Uh, But it was very bad news then when he died suddenly in 1896. Yes, she was distraught, but she wrote, it is among the most pathetic aspects of the stage, of which the general public knows little or nothing, that it allows no time for the indulgence of private sorrows. Hearts may be torn, bitter tears may be shed, but we of the stage have a jealous mistress in the public which demands that we be gnawing at the soul. Also, she needed the money. So she sent for Alexander's nephew, Leon from Paris, who was also working as a magician, and then decided to launch their show with a bang, literally by performing Herman's bullet catch trick herself. It was a very dangerous but impressive and lucrative trick, and she was the first woman to do it, wearing the same costume as her husband had done, so dark trousers and a a lovely flouncy white blouse. She wrote, the idea of a woman doing this dangerous trick created an even greater sensation than its presentation by my husband, and I was accorded an ovation at its successful conclusion. She was 43. Uh, And she set up the Herman the Great Company with Leon. Although you can see on the poster that she gave herself a bigger picture. (laughs) (laughs) And they, they toured the show around the U.S. for three seasons. It did not seem to me at all remarkable that I should take up my husband's business and manage the complicated affairs of a traveling company. There was indeed nothing else for me to do. Leon was clever, but he knew nothing about the management of the business. Therefore, I did this entirely alone. It was an immense undertaking, but I had been undergoing a long and unconscious training for the work, my husband and I having worked out the details together in our performances year after year. After that, she broke with Leon uh, and there followed various legal wrangles over the name Herman the Great, which she thought he wasn't entitled to use. And she went into vaudeville on her own. She gave up the lease on her house and sold its many, many contents, but she kept Herman's very valuable stage equipment for all the tricks and found she was in demand as a magician herself. Now, unlike her husband's endless, possibly annoying patter, Adelaide performed without speaking. It was all her body. It was all dance and motion and uh, a little bit of miming kind of thing. Um, she traveled widely for over 30 years as part of what we in the UK would call variety shows. So there would be 10 to 15 different acts, people like comedians, singers, dancers, and performing animals. Uh, there will have been people in blackface, and there was a long standing yellowface tradition among magicians, um, including a friend and later rival of the Hermans. Adelaide didn't change her facial appearance, but she did do a kind of Japanese garden number featuring a a so-called geisha girl. Uh, And you can see her looking very, very confident in this um, sort of faux Asian dress. But her her body language speaks volumes. She's standing with her legs apart, her arms raised, holding three billiard balls in each hand uh, and looks very self-assured. She was excellent at PR. Uh, She had all these photo cards made, which she would hand out uh, with autographs, and she defended her husband's name in court and learned from his uh, PR tricks, got herself into the press. There's uh, lots and lots of press reports and cuttings about her. And writing her memoir in her 70s is another sign that she she wanted to control the narrative about her own life, and she certainly left out uh, plenty of stuff. Um, (laughs) There's no, um, there's no surviving film footage of her, but we can, I think, guess at her strong stage presence. She made much in her memoir of her costumes. Um, they were allegedly insured for $5,000, and each finger for $1,000, but I, I suspect that's one of those things you tell the press. That is not true. Um, you can see here a dress which is owned by the magician David Copperfield, beautiful orangey silk, Uh, quite tight-fitting, with this gorgeous green um, bodice. Everything is beaded and sequined. Uh, That would have been done by hand. And then she has this sort of orientalist waistband with stretchy bits stretching down to the bottom. I'm sure it looked gorgeous. Um, The the Stage uh, Journal wrote in 1906, describing one particular dress, It is figured of white Liberty silk milled over silk cloth. Skirt and train are covered with jewels, emeralds, amethysts, sapphires and turquoises, which cannot possibly have been real, I assume, but maybe they would have been heavy. Anyway, uh, this matter of gowning is an important one as it excites interest and discussion among the women of her audiences, almost equal to the admiration of Madame Herman's art itself. So the costumes are very much part of the PR. She was very proud to have been invited over here to Berlin to play at the Wintergarten venue for four weeks in 1901, where she was a bit disappointed. She thought the revolving stage was too small. <laughs> I don't know what she'd have thought of a <laughs> She also played London, where she entertained the later Nazi sympathiser Edward VIII as a child. And Paris, where the rats at the Bergère killed her rabbits. It's very sad. She then, unfortunately, on her travels, got stranded in Cuba in 1908, when a manager kind of ran out on the show, and they had to s- kind of auction things off to get back to the States. So I've covered her, her hard work and her showmanship, show So it's time for the reliable assistance. She's not quite as vocal in her memoir about the assistants as she is about herself, and especially about her husband. Uh, but this was an important one, who you can see here, Adele Dewey kneeling adoringly at her feet for the photo. She was um, Adelaide's niece, and she performed on stage and assisted backstage. The, there's a lot of photos on the internet that say they're Adelaide Herman, but it's actually Adele doing the levitation act. So you see a woman with long, dark hair floating on stage. That's actually Adele. Uh, yes, she left to marry an architect, but uh, it was her who inherited the manuscript. Adelaide didn't have any children. She tried to find a publisher, but it it didn't work. It was the depression. So the Hermans also had a series of black stage assistants, which, horrifically, they they all called them all by the same stage name of Boomsky. And the memoir is actually full of kind of racist ideas and cliches. Uh, The guy you can see here is Milton Hudson Everett, who joined the Hermans as a boy when they played his small town in Georgia. He was often the butt of Herman's jokes on stage, but Adelaide portrays him as a loyal servant. Um, What she doesn't mention is that he was arrested for stealing her jewelry and went to prison for 18 months and also revealed some of the secrets behind her, tricks to a journalist. But he is supposed to have attended her funeral, so I'm not sure at all what kind of relationship that was. Adelaide Herman, she had a very successful career into her 70s, and she was thinking about going into pictures, she said. Here she, we can see her with uh, Mary Astor from the um, Maltese Falcon, until a major blow came along. In 1926, a fire destroyed the warehouse, storing all her equipment and animals. Again, there's a, a lot of difficult moments in the memoir. Without that, it was very difficult for her to perform, but she did continue. Um, She died of pneumonia, age 79. She was buried with Alexander, who has a much better grave than hers, which just says, wife, (laughs) and her birth and death dates. She wrote early on in her life, let no one select stage life as the sphere of idleness and dissipation. Let no one be deterred from it because of its ways of hardship, for they lead to fame if followed. She was rightly proud of her stage achievements. In 1931, a newspaper wrote that somebody else was the first woman magician, and she wrote an indignant letter saying, I am, as far as I know, the only woman who has ever performed that most dangerous of all feats, the bullet-catching trick, a trick which has left in its wake a trail of blood. I made my debut in vaudeville as a magician 32 years ago. I think that I might rightfully claim that honor of being the first woman magician and my title as the queen of magic. And I think she was right. She's becoming much better known these days as young women seek role models. Adelaide Amron is included in Elena Favilli's Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, 100 Immigrant Women Who Changed the World. And she's also the hero of Mara Rockcliffe's children's book, Anything But Ordinary Addie. So I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of women coming onto stage as magicians in the next five or 10 years. (laughs) But I have to come back and say thank you to Margaret Steele for her tenacity in trying to find out more about this uh, role model, for magicians at least. And uh, in in finding the manuscript and publishing Adelaide's memoir, and she's flanked it with all sorts of other material which gives us extra content and points out where there are a few little gaps. I'm really glad that Adelaide Herman is here for us to discover and to inspire other women to go on stage, not just as assistants, but in the full glare of the limelight. Thank you very much. Katie Derbyshire on Adelaide Hermann.
0: What a fabulous life. Uh, Florian, does it make you want to try out a few tricks of your own?
1: I don't know. I've always wanted to be sewn in half, you know. But I, I'm not sure if the, the magician sews themselves in half. I don't, Generally, they don't, right? It's somebody else's Yeah, you need, a,
0: you need a beautiful assistant. But frankly, Florian, I don't think the world is ready for two of you.
1: <laughs> well, that might also be true. <laughs>
0: Well, thanks everybody for listening and I hope you enjoyed learning about Adelaide Herrmann. I did. You can see some fabulous images of her and learn more about her tricks, trials and tribulations on our website, deadladieshow.com, and on our social media at Dead Ladies Show.
1: Thank you to Annika, Maximilian, and Jörg and the whole team at our beloved Dröste Festival and the Center for Literature in Münsterland.
0: And thank you to our sound engineer at ACUD, Simona Antonioni. And thank you to Katie and to you, Florian. We'll be back next month with another story of an amazing dead lady. Bye-bye.
1: Goodbye.
2: This episode of the Dead Lady Show podcast was created as part of the Droste Festival 2021, Dark Magic, by the Burghutshof Center for Literature. Funding came from the Neustadt Kultur program of the German Federal Commissioner for Culture and Media, through the German Literature Fund, and the Ministry of Culture and Science of the State of North Rhine-Westphalia.